Joining me now on this edition of Our Town is Cal Appleby, who is the current uh, executive director at the Oregon Coast Military Museum. And Cal, you got some information that you've shared with the public recently. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. You've been uh, with the museum at its inception for the last 10 years, and now you're going to retire. Yeah, actually, it's 11 years. We, 11, actually, wow. we, we actually started the museum effort in 2008. That's when we got, came up with the idea and started filing the corporate papers and doing all the planning. Uh, and then I served on the board up until 2014, left for a short time, and then when I retired from the chamber, came back into active participation in 2016 as the executive director. So how did that all start? Who was it? Was it you and uh, Wayne at, l- at lunch yep. or something? Or? Uh, no, what what happened was when my wife and I moved over here uh, p- permanently in 2005, I was in the uh, military vehicle hobby at the time. And I ran into Tim Sapp, who is, of course, a decorated Vietnam veteran. And I had a couple of military Jeeps that I'd brought with me, and he was interested in, in getting into that hobby. So I sold him one of my Jeeps. And then we decided, you know what we really need is a Veterans Day parade to drive our Jeeps in because that would be fitting. So we, Tim, myself, and Wayne, and a couple other folks started the Veterans Day parade back in 2006. So that's when that first started. And since I had not really been involved in nonprofit work from the leadership role up to that point in time, I was taking some training through the Ford Family Foundation, Mm -hmm. a prominent regional player in the nonprofit picture. And one of the exercises they had us doing in that class ended up with me coming up with the discovery that 21% of our population in the Florence area are veterans. And then that coupled with the fact that we are a heavy retirement population, the idea occurred that what's going to happen to all those artifacts and stories and experiences, all that heritage as those folks pass on. And that's almost one out of four. I mean, twenty percent. I mean, that's close enough. Yeah, that's one out of five, definitely. And so uh, I went back to the Veterans Parade Committee and say, "Hey, guys, what we really had to do is start a military museum." And and Tim and Wayne said, "Okay, yeah, we'll go along with that." Of course, they they've been there the entire time since then. So, so that's how it all started. And and the reality is that it was the right time to do that, even though it was right at the beginning and the height of the recession in two thousand eight. The community stepped forward, both in physical support a lot of the structure that we built out there was built with volunteer labor the structure itself was purchased uh, from a local veteran at 25 cents on the dollar so that was a huge savings we had a general contractor jerry prater who uh, donated his services a commercial contractor so where we thought it was going to originally cost us about four hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars to build the initial museum we came in around three hundred fifty thousand so it was a phenomenal thing to do in a recessionary time. What about the property itself there? How did that come to be? The property there, we're located on two of the lots in the Pacific View Business Park. That, excuse me, that is the side of the park or the side of the Kingwood lots that by FAA standards with the city's funding can only be lease-only properties. They cannot be sold into individual ownership. So back in 2009, we struck a 10-year lease with the city to place the museum there. We thought it was an appropriate location. A lot of museums are located next to airports, particularly military museums. And they were anxious to start filling up the lots along that strip. So 
the the city actually was a huge help in that regard in that we set we negotiated a lease rate for the going commercial rate at that time but they were smart enough to realize that rather than us paying full lease rate on empty ground in our beginning stages it made more sense to incrementally ratchet us up to full lease rate as we were doing the fundraising for construction and everything else so we actually started out at 10 percent per year and and in in 2019 we then evolved into the full 100% lease rate, but it's expiring at the end of this year. So we are now in negotiations with the city to extend it for another 10-year uh, period. Now it must be it must be difficult in, in any um, nonprofit situation to to comprise the funds necessary to, to stay operating on a regular yes, basis. Yes. How, there, how what kind of struggle has that been for the it, It's been a huge struggle. Uh, fortunately, we have had uh, a couple of different families uh, over the 10-year period that have been avid and passionate about military heritage and uh, unfortunately as they passed Fortunately for us, they left large sums of money. I mean, we're talking $30,000, $60,000, things like that. So it's not like somebody's left us a multi-million dollar. Right. It's not like you're set for the next 10 right, years. Right, right. But, but that's only a part of it. So our funding stream comes from a variety of things. We have, of course, nominal revenues from admissions, daily admissions. We have nominal revenues from our gift shop when we sell military artifacts and related items. We have... Um, of course, a nominal membership program. We don't have as many members paying on an annual basis as we would like. And then, of course, it's our fundraising efforts like Festival of Trees and our anniversary event, golf tournament, stuff like that. So those are the primary revenue streams. We have gone out for grants multiple times over that 10-year period. We have tried local grant sources, grant funders, uh, and have had good success with those. When we have tried uh, the typical regional larger grant sources like larger foundations around the state and around the region, uh, we've really struggled being successful. And we've used both what I call in-house grant writers and out-house grant writers, professional grant writers, and have not had a lot of success in that realm. And, and of course, I'm very biased about it since I've done a lot of those grants myself and attended some of the grant seminars and see some of the programs and nonprofits that are funded, whereas ours are declined. And in my jaded opinion, quite honestly, George, it just seems like in the traditional nonprofit funding regime, there's just not a lot of appreciation for military heritage. It always goes to homeless, hungry uh, environment, you know, the the other typical societal nonprofit needs, which are great things. I mean, right. it's good that they're being supported, but it just seems like military heritage is always on the short end of that stick. Sort of, you know, not showing an entire appreciation for what right. has transpired yeah, over yeah. the history of our country. Yeah, and, and the irony really is when you stop to think about it, honoring the service of our military heritage and our veterans is really significant in the fact that those services, those sacrifices that those veterans and, and Americans have provided over the decades and over the centuries is what has provided the opportunities for our other nonprofits and our other interests in our society to attain. So it's almost like a, a an, an insult that there's not more appreciation for what the the veterans and military heritage have provided for those other interests to capitalize on. So 
So why now to retire? Was it just uh, um, just time? Or? Yeah, it's just time. I've been uh, I've been doing uh, while I've only lived in the Florence area for fourteen years. I've been doing this type of thing for twenty five years. Um, in Central Oregon, I was involved in Rotary, two different clubs, the Chamber of Commerce, where we developed a, an annual festival, military vehicle club. Uh, I ran Jefferson County Search and Rescue for a year and a half, involved in Ducks Unlimited, those types of things. When we moved here, then I immediately got involved with uh, Habitat for Humanity Board Service and Home Builders Association, and then it was the parade effort, and then we started Wings and Wheels and the the museum, and and it just has continued to go on and on and on. And I've just reached the point where I I have it's time for me to step back and do some things at home. My honeydew list is growing like you would not believe. Now that my wife knows that I'm going to be available to do all of these things, and we have a, a motor home that uh, we like to use. But what happens is my wife has a very successful career on her own, and so with her longevity at her employer, she's she uh, enjoys some significant vacation time. But we can never go anyplace because it seems like every holiday weekend something. I've got an event yeah. that I have to take care of. So so part of it's to give us some time now to do things. She'll continue working, of course, but we'll still now be able to go off on some of those long weekends. Yeah, you'll have her vacation yeah. time there available for you. Now, with the, the military museum, what sort of other challenges and things are being faced. Obviously, there's a succession plan. Mm -hmm. That's going to be something that you're going to be um, revealing to folks now. How's that right. going to work? Well, uh, the I apprised the board of my desire to retire sometime this year about a month and a half ago. So the board has been aware of it. They've been working diligently on creating a succession plan. Uh, one of the, the elements that came out of this is because we are a brand new nonprofit and my position was a brand new position, we didn't have a playbook for what an executive director does, what a, a chief of staff, our daily person does, all of these different things. So part of that process has been to develop that playbook so that everybody knows what is needed out of the position and what kind of skill sets they need to find for that position. Because keep in mind, I was not a professional executive director. I just sort of evolved into it. So we developed things as we went. The other part of that, too, is that, you know, again, going back to the funding challenges, if the board decides that there is not sufficient funding in the future to, to replace my position with a paid position, that means that, that they have to figure out a way to fill those tasks by infilling with board members that have those skill sets, volunteers that have those skill sets. While we have a phenomenal young man, Jeff uh, Cannon, who is our chief of staff that runs the daily operations and coordinates the volunteers, he's just not yet experienced enough to pull, probably step into that full role completely. So if they elected to not replace me physically, then those tasks would still have to be fulfilled somehow. Again, going back to the funding challenge, one of the other challenges that we kind of face here for a military museum is that because we are such a large veteran population in our community, that also means there are other veteran organizations uh, such as VFW, American Legion, DAV. Uh, DAV, Coastal Women Veterans Group, and a lot of those organizations are also trying to build their membership and trying to build their own facilities. So not only is the military museum competing against the entire nonprofit community for funding, 
we're also competing against the veteran population for some of that same funding. And keep in mind, the Florence area is a pretty small pot of funding for all of the the needs and the opportunities that take place here. It's a great community. Volunteerism is wonderful. The outpouring of nonprofit support, but you know the pot's only so big. Right. So, has has the conversation ever come up? about maybe working with the other veterans groups? Oh, yes. We've, we've explored that multiple times. Uh, when I first came back on board, or when I came on board in 2016, one of the first things we realized was because our museum is such a small physical facility, we were already maxing out on display space and storage space because of the outpouring of all the, the artifacts and contributions for the physical aspect. So we were exploring options to expand the museum, and we approached uh, several of the, the VSOs, the Veteran Service Organizations, about joining forces and building one facility where they could have a portion of it for their needs. We could add to and expand the museum. And it, it would have worked a, great in a couple of ways. We would have been going uh, for the same project and not competing against each other for projects and monies. Mm-hmm. We would have also cut costs down because it's not cheap to build a facility with, with the current uh, land use standards and all the fees and charges. Right. So rather than three or four of us paying all of those things, we thought if we could combine everything into one unit. But one of the challenges with that is several of the VSOs have national uh, prohibitions against joining forces with other VSOs and other organizations. They have to have standalone facilities. So while that sounds logical to you and me, it doesn't sound logical on their national level. Mm. Well, that's that's a shame, too, because it seems like if everybody worked together, you know, you might have a little yep. bit more yep. of a, a, a support there. Yep. Make life easier. Yeah. So we have uh, – I, I had touched base on, on Jeff Cannon, one of the, the bright spots that our uh, – board did several years ago was bringing him on as a volunteer then we brought him on as a paid staff member jeff is very very uh accurate and and passionate and involved in military history military heritage his dad who's on our board gary is a, a vietnam veteran and so when we first opened up the museum it was a great facility but we lacked some focus we lacked some definity in some of our displays so jeff along with a couple of our board members and some of the other volunteers have really been focused over this last year on enhancing the displays and and the accuracy in the in the museum so if folks haven't been in there recently you know they they probably ought to come back and look because it's really changed it's it's, it's improving greatly just about monthly on a monthly basis so obviously, um, even though you've announced your retirement, there's probably been in the last year or two some discussions about long-range plans. Is yep. there anything you could talk about that's in the works to kind of, um, you know, whet people's appetite or encourage well, people to come out? It's in the nonprofit world, you are always in a planning stage. Uh, you always have a, a strategic plan that you try to follow. We just worked on updating our strategic plan. It's still in the final works. And, of course, I think I threw a curve to the board when I announced my intent to retire earlier this year. So that focus on strategic planning is now shifted to the succession plan. One of the things that's really encouraging, one of the reasons that, that um, I decided – that now is the right time is that we have probably the best board makeup that we've ever had in the time that we've been involved in this process. We have a very diverse board. We have veterans and we have non-veterans. We have longtime board members like Wayne and Tim who bring that historical perspective to the board, but we also have brand new board members. We have 
uh, male board members. We have female board members. So we just have a really good, strong mix, and the board is really working well together right now. And so... <clears throat> The the succession plan is approaching its final stages. They'll probably be it'll probably be finalized within the next few weeks, and then the board will be putting out more information about where we're going to go from there. And keep in mind, be, just because I'm retiring, I'm not leaving the museum. Right. I'm still going to stay actively involved as a supporter. Um, I'll always be available to the board or to a new executive director or to Jeff as a s- historical reference if something comes up that they can't figure out or need a little more depth. Uh, of knowledge on they just have to pick up the phone shoot me an email and i'll stay involved from a a volunteer perspective our military vehicle group that we started back in 2006 kind of evolved into the museum effort recently dissolved because it, it has struggled just like a lot of vehicle clubs with younger members not coming in older members dying off the the club interest just didn't uh, survive so they have now rolled in under the museum as our motor pool group so i'll be the chair or the or the supply sergeant if you will of the motor pool group and stay active all right well gee sounds like uh, you got a lot of plans and uh, you and your wife will be out vacationing too and yep. all this as well so Thank you so much for, oh. for, for putting this all together in the beginning. You bet. It reminds me of the you, Wayne, and Tim. reminds me of three men and your baby <laughs> Yeah, in the movie. The, the museum's like, the yeah, baby. The museum's the baby. So uh, congratulations on all the successes. And I know it's been tough, uh, you know, wrangling money, but I'm sure that uh, it will continue to yeah, grow. Yeah, it will. And, and that's the one thing that I've learned years ago. There might be changes in organization or in a company or in a circumstance or in an effort, but life goes on. No single person is so important that the rest of it doesn't get accomplished without that person. So it'll it'll stay around. Cal Appleby, happy retirement. All right. Thanks, George. Next, I have the pleasure of speaking with the new chief over at Save Some Valley Fire and Rescue, Michael Schick. We'll do that right after this.